From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. It's June, and the weather is heating up. Get ready for a hot summer in the billy? I'm Bill Curtis, and here's a man convincing himself that technically a beach body is anybody you bring to the beach. Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. The summer of 2020 was canceled, so everybody is very excited for this summer, except we're rusty. It's been a while since we've had very much, um, oh, damn it. What is that word again? Fun. F-U-N. Noun. From the early English word, meaning to kick back with some buds and brews, crank the tunes, and maybe get out the slip and slide. Right. Fun. So we thought as a tutorial, we'd bring you some of the most fun segments we've done in the last few months. The top of that list was a visit with talk show hosts Desus and Mero. In March, the Bodega Boys had rocketed from podcast hosts to their own premium cable show. And as soon as Peter welcomed them, you could see why. Truly, they are the click and clack of Generation Z. Desus and Mero, welcome Ooh, to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thanks for having Yo. us. BX in the building. Yeah, right. yeah, you ready for some chaos? Yep. Yes. <laughs> you, you may not be ready for you. Let's go. You know, um, one of my first questions was, are you guys like you are on the show in real life? And I think I now know the answer. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people have this problem because sometimes we'll do like a 7 a.m. talk show. We'll do an 8 a.m. talk show. And people are like, how do you possibly have this amount of energy? And the truth is, it's a lot of cocaine. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, yes. Did I get your origin story right? Because, uh, I mean, y- your your rise was extremely rapid, but my understanding is it started on Twitter. You guys had Twitter accounts, and people were like, yeah. oh, these guys are yeah. great. It was like a reconnection via Twitter. It was it like was. A, like the Craigslist ads. Like, I saw you on the train. You were wearing a blue <laughs> hat. You were listening to French Montana. <laughs> you know, let's connect. It's amazing that two people on Twitter actually got along and created this thing. Because usually when you find someone that's opinionated, you just start cussing each other out. You know what? We had similar opinions. And also, we both extremely hated our jobs at a time when it was <laughs> all right for you to tweet verbatim how much you hated your job. So I created whole characters <laughs> that I worked with and people were just logging in because it was like, what's going on with Keisha? Your, your co-workers, people who knew who my co-workers were dating and Meryl was going through the same thing. So we were just back, going back and forth about how we, who hates their job more. Meryl, what, what were you doing when all this started? I was working at a school, at a junior high school that I attended. Shout out to Junior High School 117, BX Stand Up. It is uh, what is referred to in uh, the DOE as a high need school which means you might get stabbed uh, if you're a member of the faculty. So they, I was the only male paraprofessional in the school, so, and I was like six feet tall. So they put me in the class that was just like, yo, these dudes are about to age out of here, and they're all in gangs. So please just like help like the teacher not get uh, murked by them, and uh, we'll be fine. And I used to take 30-minute bathroom breaks and be like, yo, I'm going to the bathroom, and just sit in there and tweet. <laughs> and then I got caught by the principal, and I made up this whole elaborate lie about how I was – pre-writing tweets and sending them to the, to my manager <laughs> and having him tweet, the, tweet them out during the day. <laughs> and then it all it all came to an end when it was just like I was on the like I was on the cover of like the New York Times like arts and culture section or something like that. And the assistant principal walks in, this Irish dude, John Skelly, he walks in, he's like, the kid Marrow, huh? 
<laughs> the kid Merrill. Well, the kid Merrill is uh, actually Mr. Martinez, and you need to get your ass in the room because it's eight oh five. Whoa! And I was like, okay. I was like, all right. So you're, you're tweeting. You're blowing up on Twitter. You're on the cover of like New York Times arts section, and his only reaction was, "You need to be in the classroom." Yeah. He was like, I don't, I don't give a shit that you're in the New York Times, dog. You need to get over there because it's the kid throwing a desk. You need to be the authority figure Marrow right now. The adult right Marrow in the room. <laughs> yeah. Not the kid Marrow anymore. No more the kid Marrow. You're the you adult Marrow. We're never going to get through your whole career, but it, you went from the tweeting to the podcast to the show. Now you're on Showtime. Showtime. I, I've been watching you guys for a while. You seem to really like each other. Is we that don't. real or is it like a Cisco? <laughs> like it's like um, you ever see when they do the boy bands? Yeah, like, it's like that. Yeah. It's like yeah. total scooter total, broad like, put us together. I, I'll go even further. Like everything <laughs> about the show is fake. Josh is not funny in real life. Josh is mean. <laughs> nah, we like each other because you know what it is. Because we we started at the same. Just when we first started the podcast, we had to literally mm-hmm. share a metro card mm-hmm. to get home. <laughs> so once you have yeah. that, and then we our experiences, we've had experiences that bond you for life. We got banned from the VMAs because I sat on a pregnant Kim Kardashian. <laughs> okay, you sat on a pregnant Kim Kardashian. At the VMA. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes. So, sorry, so, sorry me, Saint. Yeah, so let me tell you this. So we go to the VMAs. Yeah. This is the first time ever we've ever been to like invited to anything like this in life. Stop, wait a minute. Before you, start, before you start, key to the note. We, people don't know this. The VMAs are open bar. We didn't know this, so we thought we thought we had a pregame. Yes. So we had a limo. We took the limo to a convenience store, and we just got yes. like liquor. So now we're at, the, we're on the, we're at the VMAs, we are sourced up. We're taking pictures with the limo driver. <laughs> yes. We're scaring people. We're so excited to be there. And like, you know, we, we it hasn't dawned on us. We're on TV as well. So all we're doing is just pointing at people like, yo, Vanessa Hudges. Yo, oh, wow. Uh, that's Beyonce. I mean, oh, that's Rita Ora. Oh, all right, whatever. So we're just running around and we're just bothering everybody. You can see they're just like, who are these two? Everyone's like, who are these two people? Why are they talking to everybody? And we're not talking to them like, hey, do we work on a project together? We're going to, hey, Jada Smith. You're... And they're like, yo, we're trying to record. We're trying to record. And because, you know, we're a little out there, a little drunk, a little smizzy, I see there's got to be like seven feet four tall Russian guy talking down to my guy, Miro. And, you know, every, so, you know when you're like a little a little into- intoxicated, everything is like hazy and you don't really hear anything. All I'm just like, oh, you trying to fight my Bronx brother? I'll let Miro take it from you. <laughs> so I see, I see Kanye West and I'm like, this is it. This is our opportunity to get a photo with Kanye West. So I'm just like, hey, I'm like, yo, Kanye, what up? Yo, yo, big fan, you know what I'm saying? Like, just keep talking, like, hoping that like, he's like, do I do I know you? Like, whatever. Then, like, these said, Zangi from Street Fighter 2 <laughs> stands in front of me. He's like, uh, my friend, you cannot come any closer to Kanye West. You cannot come. But your boy had had, you know, a little, you know, a little Springsteen juice. You know what I'm saying? Please feel me. Uh, I was, I got very bold. You know what I'm saying, and I, I grew to his height magically. And I was like, Nah, if Kanye doesn't want to take a picture with me and my man Jesus, I want him to tell me that, not you. And then he's just, and then Kanye's just like, I, I don't know if it's like out of pity or what. He's just like, he's like, All right, man, come over here, come over here. Yes. So then well, we go over no, there. He makes no effort to get out of his seat. And so we have to crouch down to take the photo. So as I'm crouching down, like I back into a pregnant Kim who's sitting there because I I did not realize she is tiny in real life. Yes. So then I back into her and I guess she's like Kanye and Kanye turns to me and says the greatest quote and I want this on my gravestone when I go home. She goes, 
Watch out for my wife, dog. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> well, Jesus and Mero, I have a feeling we really could talk to you all day, but we have, in <laughs> fact, some business to do. We have asked you here to play a game that we're calling Knowledge Darts. Try these darts. So you've got a book out called God Level Knowledge Darts. We thought we'd ask about real darts, the game, you know, that we play for fun, the Brits play seriously, and everybody plays drunk. So you've mm-hmm. got to answer two out of three yes. questions correctly. Yes. Do that. You win our prize. That's the voice of anyone they might like on our show mm-hmm. on their voicemail. So, Bill, who are Jesus and Mero playing for? Sarah Long of New York, New York. There you go. Okay. Oh, Here we go. Here's right, the first Sarah. question. In the 1920s, a researcher from Johns Hopkins made a revolutionary discovery about the game of darts. What is it? A, an ancient cave painting in France is really a dartboard, making it the world's oldest sport. B, they discovered that men don't actually enjoy darts. They just enjoy explaining the rules of darts to women. Or C, the drunker you are, the better you shoot. Hmm. Oof. I want to say C, but I feel like A is probably correct. Yeah. I mean, in my, in my reality, my real life, it's C. Definitely. But yeah. for the purposes of this no, game, I'm going to go with A. You're, you're, you're going to put aside your instincts to choose C, and you're going to go for A. Should we go to a, a breakout room in this, France. or should we just go A? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you know what? We're going for A. We're going with A. You're going to go for A. We're going to go A. I tried to talk you out of it. It's C. It's the drunker what? you are, the better you shoot darts. Yeah. That is true, because when you when you get drunk and you do bowling, you get better at bowling, but all my ex-girlfriends disagree. So, I mean, <laughs> you have to see. All right. You got two more chances here. This all is right. not a problem. Okay. As you know... In England, darts, yes. hugely competitive sport, very serious people watching oh, yeah. on TV. And controversy hit the 2018 Grand Slam of darts in England when both players in the final match accused the other player of doing what? A, farting constantly to ruin the other's game. B, muttering miss, 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 miss under their breath. Or C, using tiny motors on their darts to make them fly faster. Let me see. Ah. What do you think, Amiro? Mm. I think because we really, we really blew it on the first question. We can't do it. Yeah, I know. And I feel like heat. the more, the more ridiculous the answer is, the more right it is. Yeah. So I'm tempted to go with the farting. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think a flatulence. We're going is, farting. Is We're going with the fart. Yeah. We're going with the farting. Of course, it was farting. Yeah. That's what happened. They both said that the other guy farted so much they were distracted. One said nice. the other. It'll take me two nights to lose this smell from my nose. <laughs> but was he fighting on purpose or did he have like Chipotle or something before? Well, the, the, the accusation <laughs> was he was doing that. He was making it very hard to play because I was so distracted by the stink. And then they each denied wow. it. One guy said, look, I'll tell you, you know me. Because darts, yeah. professional darts players look and act exactly as you would expect professional darts Oh, yeah, yeah. I have a vision in my head. <laughs> every dart... Uh, Every dart tournament ends with, oh, I'm late to pick up my kids. <laughs> <laughs> I got him this weekend. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You got one more question here. So believe it or not, there is an enthusiastic population of blind darts players, some of whom are pretty good. Okay. Britain, okay. in fact, has a team entirely made up of blind players of darts. What is the team name? A, the three mice. B, we apologize in advance, or C, the optimists. Optimist is big, Monty Python energy. What, how do you feel, Miro? Uh, yeah, no, I agree. You're right. Yeah! That's the one, the optimists. Yeah! You, you just nailed that. Bill, how did Jesus and Miro do in our quiz? Two out of three, that means they are winners. Champion. Right. Season three of Jesus and Mero is on Showtime now. Their book is God Level Knowledge Darts. Jesus and Mero, thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Wait, don't tell me. Thank you, man. Later, y'all.
When we come back, the king and queen of TikTok, by which we mean two septuagenarian Jews who are only vaguely aware of what TikTok is. We'll be back in a minute with more Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. It's time to emerge from our homes and get outside. You have no idea what you're going to see there. You think you might know, but every time there's a mystery there that you're going to unearth. All this week, LifeKit is headed outdoors with episodes on camping, birding, biking, and more. Listen to the LifeKit podcast from NPR. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis, and here is your host, the man who secretly never stopped wearing white pants. It's Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. This week we are getting ready for the summer by reminding ourselves what it is like to enjoy ourselves. It has been a while. Speak for yourself. My private menagerie is expensive and tough to clean. But it pays off when the monkeys get frisky. Now, not everyone as a private menagerie with which to impress their friends. But back in 2017, we brought you a story in our Bluff the Listener game about new ways to impress a date. Here it is, featuring panelists Nagin Farsad, Mo Rocca, and Alonzo Bowden. Hi, this is Abigail from Seattle, Washington. Hey, Abigail, how are you? I'm doing great, how are you? Oh, we're pretty good here in Salt Lake, so tell me, what do you do there in beautiful Seattle? Um, I am a elementary music teacher. Oh my God. <laughs> have been known to make fun of people for their jobs, but never music teachers. You guys are doing God's work, and I appreciate it. You're the best. <laughs> Abigail, you're going to play our game in which you have to tell truth from fiction. Bill, what is Abigail's topic? Best date ever. All right. Just that, before we get into this, Abigail, are you single by any chance? I sure am. All right. Well, then this might be <laughs> of particular interest to you. Because as you may know, we often go to great lengths to impress our dates. You get a great reservation, you buy flowers, or in extreme cases, we look vaguely like our profile picture. This week, we heard about a new way to impress one's date. Our panelists are going to tell you about it. Pick that real one, you'll win our prize. The wait waiter of your choice on your voicemail. Are you ready to play? I am. All right. Your first new dating strategy comes from Alonzo Bowden. Every woman loves a hero. Now you can be one for a fee. First, you invite your date to Hirakata Park in Osaka, Japan. Then, as you stroll around, a group of tough guys approach and insult your lady. You step up to the biggest one and flatten it. Now, if all goes according to plan, your girl is incredibly impressed with your manly courage and you live happily ever after. Admitting to her that this was all a prearranged paid stunt is up to you. So chivalry is not dead, it's available for a reasonable price. <laughs> Hirakata Park sells various hero packages. If she's not into fake violence, you can defuse a bomb and save the masses, <laughs> or be the only possible donor of a rare blood type that saves a life. So for a small fee and with a small rehearsal, you can be any woman's dream. Let's just hope she doesn't see the ad for the service or the charge on your credit card. And above all, you better hope she doesn't start taunting tough guys outside the park <laughs> saying, my man can take any of you. A park in Japan 
where you can pay to be attacked so you can beat up the bad guys and impress your date. Your next story of a new mating strategy is from Nagin Farsad. So you're trying to impress a first date, but you really have nothing engaging to say because you have no personality and you've lived an uninteresting elevator music version of a life. Don't fret, there's a new service based in Florence, Italy called Banter for the Boring, or as the Italians call it, Flirtere per il noioso. This service writes stories from a better life than yours that you can casually deliver on those tricky early dates when you're expected to speak. The, they'll cook up stories like that one about how you spent a summer building houses for the poor while hunting wild boar in Equatorial Guinea. Their master researchers will even tell you where Equatorial Guinea is. This Italian company guarantees you'll get a second date. However, they caution that once things get intimate, you're on your own. There are some things even they can't make more impressive. <laughs> this is such a mean company. <laughs> An Italian company that will provide you the interesting life stories that you yourself lack. And your last story of an impressive date comes from Mo Rocca. In Paraguay, chili means love, specifically Hormel chili. Turns out the word Hormel in the Indian language of Guarani translates as passion which is why Hormel has been marketing its chili in new romantic ways to appeal to Paraguay's indigenous teens. There's a Hormel jewelry line. Quote, when my boyfriend gave me a locket, I blushed, said 17-year-old Miley Ixtapapakal. When I opened the locket to find it filled with a scoop of Hormel Chunky, I nearly passed out. At the Hormel Love Hotel outside of the capital city of Asuncion, you and your squeeze can luxuriate in a heart-shaped tub filled with Hormel's cheese sauce. <laughs> and at the Hormel-sponsored 75th wedding anniversary party for Paraguayan grandparents Hume and Jessica Mixtacacacuatl, <laughs> family and friends showered them not with confetti, but with ground beef and pinto beans. <laughs> Abigail, this is what you heard. This is something that can be contributing to a date perhaps in your future. From Alonzo, <laughs> a park in Japan which will provide paid people to pretend to be beaten up by you so as to impress your date. From Nagin Farsad, a company that will provide you the interesting stories about your life that you don't have because you haven't had one. Or from Moraka, how Hormel, the chili brand, is an aphrodisiac among the indigenous people of Paraguay. <laughs> so, Abigail, one of those is something that is real. Which do you think it might be? Um, well, I think I'm just going to have to go with the one that I really would like to be real, because I think it would be helpful, and that would be Nagin's making my life more interesting to date. Really? <laughs> All right, so you're going to choose Nagin's story of the service in Italy that will provide you with interesting fictional stories about yourself. Well, we spoke, and I'm pleased to say this, we spoke to one of America's foremost experts on relationships and dating to tell us about the real story. There's a theme park in Japan where you can arrange to stage this altercation in front of your girlfriend to impress her. That was Dan Savage himself, the columnist and the host of Savage Lovecast telling us indeed about this theme park in Japan, where, as Alonzo told you, you can arrange to have some guy come up so you can beat him up and impress your date. 
You didn't win our prize. However, Nagin got a wonderful point, hey. a fabulous point. Thanks for being wrong. <laughs> so thank well, you so much for playing, Abigail. <laughs> I don't know if anybody had more fun during the pandemic than Mandy Patinkin and Catherine Grody. The married actors started doing videos at the urging of their son and became social media stars just by being, hilariously, themselves. Peter began by asking Mandy, after four decades of performing, what role is he most recognized for? I would say the most common, uh, aren't you that guy from The Princess Bride, is probably the thing that happens the most. Right. Now, for people who don't know, of course, he played Inigo Montoya, progenitor of the famous line. Do you want to go ahead and say it? Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And we're done. Yeah, yeah. we're done. That's it, you guys. We're going home. I'm so done. I'm screaming. <laughs> there, are, there are worse things to be known for. That movie came out, God, I was just out of college. It was the late 80s, 88, around yeah. there. And it is still hugely popular. Did you guys have any idea when you made that, that this was going to be like this cultural touchstone for like the rest of your lives? Oh, God, no. It was, I, I certainly had fun. Uh, you know, William Goldman wrote The Greatest Sword Fighter Ever. So I had the task of learning to be a sword fighter, which was sort of like a sporting event, very much like a sporting event. And that was my job. And, uh, While wearing that bomb ass wig. Yeah, I had. Well, actually, back then, I uh, half uh, three quarters of it was my own hair. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm wrong about that. It was called a three quarter wig. So right. the front part was my own. And, uh, <laughs> and I wish I had it now. <laughs> but, but then the movie came out and nobody saw it. It, uh, it just, you know, what came and left. And then I heard that other movies had that similar uh, treatment, like The Wizard of Oz. And many other films and uh and then people in college started watching it and they they told their kids and their kids told their kids and then all of a sudden it became what it became can i talk to you about your musical theater life no. um <laughs> you, but, but you have to you have to let me do this right. because you don't know this but when i was 12 we had a very intense relationship I, I learned every single lyric of the musical Evita. I became obsessed with it. And I didn't know how professional theater worked. And one day it dawned on me, what if Mandy Patinkin is sick one night and can't be in the show and people show up and I know all the lyrics to Che. I need him to know that he can get in touch with me in case he needs to take the night off so all those people aren't disappointed and I can be a 12-year-old Che Guevara in Evita. So I just want you to know that I'm available. Your mother had called me about this years ago, and I've had the number <laughs> in my book ever since. I tried to get you twice, and you were busy. <laughs> Mo, do you still know the lyrics to the Che part in Evita? Oh, what a circus. Oh, what a show. Argentina has gone to town over the death of an actress called Eva Perón. You can take it from here. <laughs> one crazy morning all day and morning all night. Falling over ourselves to get all of the misery right. I'm not going to say a word. Every every thought I had in preparation for this interview has flown out of my head now. Uh, we have to talk about your latest uh, form of fame, which is you've, you've, you've become a viral internet star on TikTok. I, I, I've seen... 
some of the early ones that you did with your wife, Catherine, and it seems yeah. as if you have no idea what your son has gotten you involved in. Well, uh, that's fairly true on any given day at any given moment. Um, it is it is all because of our son, Gideon, um, who has uh, this enjoyment of taking out his cell phone and uh, asking us questions for, I would assume, uh, uh, family archives is what he <laughs> often says. Um, uh, and so that's what we would do. And then we had a fight uh, on our... What anniversary was it, honey? Uh, the 42nd anniversary of our first date. 42nd anniversary of our first date. And I stopped at a forsythia tree and he asked us what's going on. And she said, well, we just had a fight. It was our anniversary. We had a fight. And then Catherine talked about it. And the next thing he said, uh, can we put this out on your social media, which we began to um, with the International Rescue Committee to highlight the uh, plight of refugees and help them have a new beginning. That was the whole purpose of our social media. And Gideon hijacked that. And so that's how it began. I, I, it seems it seems as if Catherine is there with you. Why don't, why don't you bring her on then? Yes, it is. I, I recommend for everyone, you should tell your guests, never do an interview without your family members <laughs> around. We're joined now by Catherine. Hello. How are you? Hello. Hello, everyone. So you guys are now influencers. You're TikTok influencers. I mean, honestly, to this moment, no insult to the young people that love TikTok. I, honest to God, do not understand it. It makes Twitter look like Shakespeare. I don't even know how to find TikTok. I don't even know how to find Instagram. I am completely, you know. Happy. Yes. <laughs> That's the, the word you were searching did. for. You did You did have, you, you had your anniversary of your first date 42 years ago? Yeah, yeah. It's extraordinary. Uh, we, we heard a story, I don't know if it's true, that some something to the effect that, Mandy, you said to Catherine on your first date, I'm going to marry you. Yeah. Yes, and then I believe she said to me with her finger up like this, pointing at me, you don't know what you're talking about. And I went, click. I took a picture of it and, I, and I, she said, you're an actor and a baby and you're going to get hurt. And I said, that's okay. Now she's, she's pulling her hair oh out my of her God, head because right. no matter what story I tell about this, it's the wrong version. No, we don't have time person. on this program for, you know. <laughs> Catherine, <laughs> your rebuttal. Michael Weller, who wrote the play, came up to me and said, what do you think about Mandy? And I said, oh, he's great. Wait a minute. You mean for me personally? <laughs> I said, forget it. He's an actor. He's a baby. He's a little bit crazy. No, the next person I'm with is going to be the father of my children, and he's not. <laughs> he, was, he was 25 years old. I was 31. And I, we, we wanted to use this baby. occasion to tell you that Mo Rocca is actually the father. <laughs> <laughs> What's amazing about you, Catherine, and I, I, and I want to say I genuinely admire this, even though when you're telling a story about how you were completely mistaken about something, you're still the smarter person. Yeah, well, about memory, yeah. No, no, she is the smartest person. She's the smartest one in the family. Oh, God, that is uh, so It is so true. true. It is true. It is true. Catherine, you deserve at least 50% credit. You said, the next person I'm with will be the father of my children, and he won't be you. And you were half right. I think that counts for something. <laughs> Well, Mandy Patinkin, it's great to talk to you and Catherine, you too, but we have asked you here to play a game we're calling TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. So you are TikTok stars now. So we thought we'd ask you three questions about the original TikTok stars, which are clocks. <laughs> Get two questions about clocks right, you'll win our prize for one of our listeners, the voice of anyone they might choose for their voicemail. Chioki, who is Mandy Patinkin, and may I say Catherine Grody playing for? Danny Rosen of West Hartford, Connecticut. Here we go. Here's your first question. Before the invention of inexpensive clocks, people in Britain had to manage their time in different ways, including which of these? A, killing a mouse every morning and then telling time during the day by how badly it was smelling. 
B, hiring people to walk the streets of the city in the morning and wake them up by shooting at their windows with pea shooters. Or C, getting out of meetings by saying, oh, I'm sorry, I have a witch burning to get to. Pea shooting. Pea shooting? What was the pea? Shooting at, shooting at the windows. Um, okay, yeah, that sounds great. That's the answer. Congratulations. That's the right one. <laughs> uh, these human alarm clocks were called knocker uppers. That was the name of the job. They used pea shooters, at least in one instance. Sometimes they used a canes or clubs to bang on the windows to get people up in time to get to work. Wow. Next question. Clocks are not beloved everywhere. In fact, schools in the UK announced they were removing clocks from classrooms. Why? A, students were stealing the clock hands and stabbing each other with them. B, to prevent students from yelling 10, 9, 8, etc. as the period came to a close. Or C, because students are simply no longer able to tell time. Oh, wow. See. There you go. You're right. That's exactly it. it they, students can no longer read analog clocks, so they're just removing them from classroom. Oh, my God. I know. All right. Here's your last question. People pretend to hate daylight savings time, but most don't know the origin of daylight savings time. Was it A, Ben Franklin invented it as a joke? B, Mussolini came up with it because he couldn't figure out how else to get the trains to run on time. <laughs> or C, Napoleon invented it. So his army would always surprise the other side by getting there one hour early. I'm pretty sure it's Ben Franklin. You're right. It is Ben Franklin. <laughs> I knew yes. it. I knew it. He, he sent a letter to the editor when he was in Paris as ambassador saying that, hey, if we all get up when the sun rises and go to bed when it sets, we'll all save money on candles. Oh, there you go. Chucky, how did Mandy Patinkin and his wife Catherine Grody do on our quiz? After more than 40 years in show business and more than 40 years of marriage, I think it's safe to say this is the high point. <laughs> <laughs> Mandy Patinkin and Catherine Grody are celebrated actors, singers, writers, and surprise TikTok stars. You can find them both on TikTok at Mandy Patinkin. Thank you so much for joining us on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Enjoy yourselves, guys. Stay safe. Be well. Bye-bye. Bye. When we come back, our panelists show your kids how it's possible to have fun all on your own and the best band ever to play Cantor's Delicatessen. We'll be back in a minute with more Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Discover. Discover matches all the cash back you earn in your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. It's amazing because of all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So, when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash match. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations apply. This message comes from NPR sponsor Odoo. Do you run a business or manage a team? Then it is time to switch to Odoo. Odoo is a suite of business applications designed to streamline, automate, and simplify any company. Odoo has apps for everything, CRM, inventory, manufacturing, sales, accounting, you name it. Odoo's got you covered. So stop wasting time and start getting stuff done with Odoo. For a free trial, go to odoo.com slash wait. This message comes from NPR sponsor HBO Max, presenting Hacks, a new Max original series exploring the dark mentorship that forms between a larger-than-life legendary Las Vegas comedian and an entitled outcast 25-year-old writer. From the team that brought you Broad City, the co-creator of Parks and Rec, and starring Gene Smart, Hacks is now streaming on HBO Max. 
From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis, and here's your host, who's searching Amazon to see how realistic those fake six-pack abs t-shirts have gotten. It's Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. It is our Practicing for Summer Fun edition, and we want you and your kids to know that it's not necessary to buy expensive toys or invite famous people over to talk to to have fun. No, you can find fun all on your own. Expensive toys are great, though. I have a working model submarine the size of an actual submarine. Well, still, all you really need to amuse yourself Seriously, is... it has three nuclear-tipped Trident missiles on board. That's really great, Bill, but... Defy me and die in fire. Here's our panel showing you how to enjoy yourselves peacefully. <laughs> Yasser, very exciting news. There's been a major advancement in the Nerf arms race. Nerf has invented a new gun that can do what? It has a laser scope. No. <laughs> it has, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something like violent, I guess. It, it, has, it has armor-piercing ammunition. <laughs> Oh, uh, wow. Um, okay, wait, hold on. A an extended banana clip? <laughs> no, no. I'll okay. it. It's sort of, you could say it shoots it like Beckham. Uh, wait, it has, uh, it has like a kickback? No. <laughs> just tell me. Just I'll never get this. I'll it never shoots get around this. corners. That is, by laws of physics, <laughs> impossible. But it, yet it, it does. It tell doesn't. me. You, you thought you were safe in the next room or crouched behind that couch. Think again. The Nerf rival curve shot fires foam ammo that can turn left or right or down, which means truly there is no place for America's younger brothers to hide. <laughs> I like that Nerf thought to themselves, you know what America needs right now is more of a sense that there's no escape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How can you Let's be annoying? <laughs> we're picking up is that no one's on edge and people will think this is so chill <laughs> kids just love playing insurrection oh, yeah. this story is yet another oh, example of how adding nerf in front of something turns it from a horrifying thing to a cool one like new gun shoots around corners is really bad but nerf gun that sounds like fun <laughs> It works for everything, yeah. as in, I tested positive for Nerf COVID. <laughs> Adam, this week GQ did an in-depth interview with someone entirely about their famous hairstyle. Who was it? It was Elvis. No, it wasn't. He's dead. Really. Trust me. Oh, wow. Um, it was It was somebody with really famous hair, and I'm going to need a hint. Okay, well, okay. remember we were just talking about pressure when you urinate. What do you take to combat that, a depressurization of your urinary tract? I you have absolutely you take, no idea. You what take Flomax. Okay. I didn't know that. Um. Okay, Flomax. <laughs> and then Flomax sounds like something you cut your hair with. A, a Floby. Right. Yes. And uh -huh. who uses a Floby to cut his hair to give himself that famous Caesar haircut and everything else afterwards? Peter, I'm going to need a hint. George Clooney? Is it, it's not George Clooney, which is why... Oh, I thought it was George Clooney. It wasn't oh, George Clooney. I would also point out... God, Peter, I, 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 would not I would yield my urinary tract problems just you for did. that. You did. Just you to clue me into the wrong answer. Adam, you'd like a hint. All right, here we go. Dearest Martha, today I washed my tresses in the Susquehanna and combed them into what my adjutant calls a mullet. Your Ooh. devoted Samuel. Ooh. Dearest Martha... 
It's George Washington. Well, no, I, I, I no, I need, I need like the Ashokan farewell playing behind that. Is, is, she, uh, is, is, is it Ken Burns? What are we? Yes, it's Ken Burns. GQ interviewed. For decades, Ken Burns has been his own personal nine-part series on the history of the bowl cut. But during lockdown, he has had to let his hair grow out. And I got to tell you, it is like Fabio-level sexy. That feeling in your loins, that's the Ken Burns effect. So, <laughs> I, mean, I now, haven't seen that. And it's I, amazing. I, I mean, it is amazingly good-looking hair. Well, he's part grown- of what he's doing is he conditions it with sepia. to give it that tone you know yeah i know (laughs) december 4th i feel i shall never see gel again (laughs) his luxurious shoulder length hair looks so good that gq declared a style alert and called him for an interview we're really excited for their next feature on werner herzog's rippling thighs I love that the pandemic has turned Ken Burns into that librarian who takes her glasses off and lets her hair down. Pretty much, yeah. In every music video. He is is a veteran of the Battle of Split Ends, which is decisive. (laughs) Tom, conspiracy theorists have long accused Bill Gates of being an evil genius who's trying to implant humans with microchips. That, of course, is ridiculous. As it turns out, Bill Gates is really working on a plan to do what? Um, get everybody to just carry the tracking device in their pocket. No. Ah, no, he did that. Uh, I need another hint. Well, he, he, I mean, it's part of his concern for health. He never wants anyone to suffer a sunburn again. Well, by wearing sunscreen, um, no, is no. too obvious. Um, by wearing leather, um, no, it would work. Um, you know, he's, he's going right to the source. Oh, he wants to uh, put a sunshade up in space. Exactly. He wants to block out the sun. Oh, wow. That seems like real evil genius stuff there. Doesn't it, though? In an announcement made this week, Bill Gates said he is supporting the stratospheric controlled perturbation experiment, which sounds like the dirtiest thing Bill Gates has ever thought of doing. (laughs) Kind of makes sense. You can go blind from both too much staring at the sun and too much perturbation. The... SCPE, as it is called, plans to spray a sun-reflecting aerosol into the atmosphere in an attempt to help combat the effects of global warming. The project could cost upwards of $10 billion because purchasing that many bottles of Aquanet is not cheap. Didn't Dr. Evil try this in, like, the second movie? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure Austin Powers saved us from this once already. Yeah. It sounds right. like Simon Bar Sinister. It sounds it really like something does, out yeah. of Underdog. If yeah. he gets a white cat, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most important skills people have had to master this last year was having fun with their family. And after a year and a half of that, we never want to see any of those people again. But those skills might still come in handy. So is a model. Here's Esty and Alana Heim, who are not only sisters, but with their third sister, Danielle, are the band Heim. Peter asked them about their first family band and their early gigs at a deli in Los Angeles. We had a band with our parents called Rockenheim. It was a cover band. We would only play covers. And our first gig was when I think I was either seven or eight and it was at the kibitz room <laughs> and we got paid in matzball soup because that's like what the payment is there. 
And that was like our first gig. Like my first gig was at a bar. I we've ta- now we're like actually friends with the Cantor's family because they can't get rid of us. Where they're like once, like once every couple of days, you could find us at Cantor's before COVID. I, I, for people who don't know, Cantor's is like the classic old deli in LA. It's in the Fairfax district, which historically was the Jewish district. And I just love the idea that one day, I don't know how long ago, uh, twenty years. <laughs> Somebody walked in and said, hey, there's a nice Jewish family playing in the other room. Want to have a drink? Well, there actually was literally one person in the crowd. Like, my, like it wasn't like <laughs> a publicized. No. It was like one guy. There was like one guy that he must have been like the guy that just goes there every night to just get wasted. And he was the only person there. He was sitting at the bar. And I remember there's like a there's video of it of me asking Danielle, we were all wearing like butterfly clips and like limited <laughs> to outfits. Like sparkly <laughs> jeans. Sparkly jeans. Like I think my shirt said like soccer on it. Like soccer. Or like 99% angel. Angel. Like 1%, 1% devil. devil. Oh my God. And there was like a guy, there was a guy that could not believe that we were playing our instruments and, he, and in the video you hear him screaming like, this isn't real. And you can see that. <laughs> Danielle. You had one, you had one had audience member and he was a heckler. Yeah, he was a heckler. <laughs> he was a heckler, and you see Danielle like in the video, like she's doing like Terrifying. Danielle's first Danielle first Danielle's first solo that she what? ever learned was Hotel California. What? And she played the whole solo, and she was like nine or ten, and the guy was like, "Where's the recording?" <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I can't even. Can we just back up and talk about the fact that your parents pimped you out like the Von Trapp family? Well, it's actually a pretty crazy thing. My dad, so my parents have always loved playing music. They were never professional. They just like, my dad played drums. My mom played guitar. And like her claim to fame is that she won the gong show like when she was around my age. that's awesome. And my dad always tells a story like that he had a dream, like literally like a prophecy, like a dream that he woke up one one night in the middle of the night and like woke up my mom and was like, I just had a dream that we had a band with the kids and I think we should do it. Oh, That's wow. Amazing. How old were you at the time? I well, was, when you started when playing started, guitar? When we started, well, I was like four when we started Rockenheim and the only thing that I could play was like percussions. So, like I, my dad would give me like a cowbell, like a tambourine, sure. like very Partridge family style, like, like <laughs> the only thing I could yeah. play. And Danielle, I mean, Danielle started when she was, how old, Essie? Danielle started when she was like five or six and five or surpassed six, yeah. me. Like, sur- I, and I was like eight or nine and like, Imagine the older sister looking at the middle sister and she's just like, she's literally like the Steve Van Zandt at like six years old. And I'm sitting here like I can barely push on the string. So your parent, your father says, I had this dream. We're going to be a band. And the fact that you guys were not like, this is crazy. This is weird. We don't want anything to do with this. But you're like, yes. And now you're like a huge hit band. That you play Saturday Night Live and guess with Taylor Swift. This is really weird. It, is, it was cool, though, because the thing is, my parents, every every we only had radio in our car. So we would only play K-Earth 101, which was like the mm-hmm. oldies station. But like we would record songs on a tape deck. And then learn them by ear, like with my mom, like we would all sit around and like learn the chords. And like for me, because we would pretty much only listen to K-Earth, I was like learning songs that were on the radio, not knowing that they were like really old songs. Like, I thought the Beatles were like alive and well and playing and <laughs> <laughs> like Tori. I was like, we should go see these guys. They're really great. <laughs> I mean, once we got into like our teen years, it was like, mom, and dad, a little like, tougher. 
We want to play like sublime. Your teen rebellion wasn't like, yes, we're going to be in a band just like you insisted that we are. But our rebellion is we're going to shift our repertoire. Yeah, Take right. that. Exactly. So, like, and growing up, we I personally thought every family had a family band. So I didn't think that it was weird. And it wasn't until I was in middle school, basically, or like fifth grade. When I asked my friends or my friends were like, we're going to go to the mall on Saturday. Essie, do you want to go? And I was like, I mean, yeah, but like, aren't you in rehearsal? <laughs> <laughs> how did you guys tell, once you guys hit it big, how did you tell your parents that weren't in the band anymore? <laughs> yeah, oh, I mean, yeah I we, mean, kicked, we kicked mom and dad out of the band. I mean, they were just stoked that we wanted to be in a band with each other. Like they thought we weren't like killing each other by the time we were teenagers. It was never like a you will play music and you will be a rock band. It was oh my god! Like, it was the we opposite of anything. Yeah, we're like yeah. you think it's fun, but also get a job and go to college. <laughs> are they are they still like that? Are they like yes, playing Saturday Night Live is nice, but you know there is like a post BA pre med thing you guys could do. <laughs> I mean, my my mom and I still talk about. My mom's like, you ever think you're gonna get like you know a math degree? <laughs> <laughs> you go now. What if we get hard to get in? I'm like, mom. Mom, we have I have to go on tour. We have to go on tour, Mom. Like, you know, <laughs> education's important in this family. My parents gave up on me and Danielle. Danielle and Alana were hanging out behind the dumpster at our high school smoking cigarettes. Yeah. Uh, well, that also works if you're going to go into music. Well, <laughs> yes. Esty and Alana, it is a joy to talk to you, but we have invited you here to play a game we're calling You're My Wonder Wall. <laughs> So you two, with your sister, are part of a successful sibling band. And basically, you have one job. Don't be like Oasis. <laughs> that band's founding brothers, Liam and Noel Gallagher, became legendary for the feuds that led to the eventual breakup of the band. So we're going to ask you three questions about the Gallaghers. And if you answer two of them correctly, you will win our prize for one of our listeners. Oh, my God. Okay, okay. here we go. Bill, how are Esty and Alana Heim playing for? Amy Lee of Phoenix, Arizona. All right, here's your first question about Oasis and the Gallaghers. Oh Liam and Noel Gallagher's fights and feuds were notorious for most of the band's career. In fact, someone once capitalized on their reputation for fighting by doing what? A, a special Liam and Noel edition of Rock'em Sock'em Robots was released by Mattel. B, a nine-minute recording of one of their arguments was released as a single by a record label. Or C, a pair of tag team pro wrestlers who called themselves Croasis, and their gimmick was they'd always end up beating up each other. Oh my God, Essie, do you know? I actually, I, I'm, I think it might be B. All right, it's B. That's what happened. This single was released under the name Wibbling Rivalry and yep. went to number 52 in the British pop charts. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. We should cover it on our next record. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's your next question. In 1996, the band appeared on MTV's live concert show Unplugged, mm -hmm. but Noel announced when he got on stage that Liam wasn't going to be there. Where was Liam? Was he A, locked in the dressing room exactly where Noel had left him, <laughs> B, at Noel's house setting fire to it, or C, in the audience heckling Noel? Should we go with A? I think he locked him in the dressing Let's room. Let's go with A. Let's just see what happens. Let Liam lock Noel in the dressing room. No, in fact, Liam was sitting in the audience and he heckled. Oh, that makes me angry. You just need one we more and you win. One more. No one will ever remember you got more. one wrong as long as okay. you win. Otherwise, it's lifelong shame. Uh, the brothers were famous for dissing each other in the press. Which of these was once said by Noel about Liam? A, quote, the only thing that keeps me from punching him in the face every minute of the day is that he looks like me. 
B, quote, he's like a man with a fork in a world of soup. Or C, quote, I have immense respect for his musical talents, but sadly we have differing visions of what we next wish to explore. I think it's B, the soup one. Do you agree? Oh my God, I'm so scared. Yes. It's B, yes. Okay. Bill, how did two of the Heim sisters do on our show? They got two right, and here... You win with two. Absolutely. Yay! It's all you needed. Yay! Yay! That's all I wanted. Esty and Alana Heim are two-thirds of the band Heim with her sister Danielle. Their new album, Women in Music Part 3, is up for Album of the Year and Best Rock Performance at this year's Grammy Awards. Esty and Alana, what an absolute joy to talk to you. Thank you so much for being on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Thank Me. You Thank you guys so, so much, much for having us. That's it for our fun tutorial edition of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations and Cyber Reason, a cybersecurity company dedicated to helping enterprises stop ransomware. While attackers hold businesses to ransom, Cyber Reason works to protect them. More at cyberreason.com slash ransom. DuckDuckGo, a privacy company committed to raising the standard of trust online. Used by tens of millions, they work to help people search privately and avoid trackers. DuckDuckGo, privacy simplified. And Progressive Insurance, offering Snapshot, a program that adjusts insurance rates based on safe driving habits. Now that's Progressive. Learn more at Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is a production of NPR and WBEZ Chicago in association with Urgent Haircut Productions' Doug Berman, Benevolent Overlord. Philip Godica writes our limericks, our social media superstars, Emma Choi. Our web guru is Beth Novi. B.J. Lederman composed our theme. Our program is produced by Jennifer Mills, Miles Dernboss, and Lillian King. Our cabana boy is Peter Gwynn. Technical direction is from Lorna White. Our business and ops manager is Colin Miller. Our production manager is Robert Newhouse. And our senior producer is Ian Chillog. The executive producer of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is Mike Danforth. Thanks to everybody you heard this week, all of our panelists, all of our guests, of course, Bill Curtis, and thanks to all of you for listening. We will meet you all outside just as soon as we finish our chores. I'm Peter Sagal. We'll be back with a new show next week. This is NPR.